and welcome to Cooking the Books with me, Jilly Smith, the podcast which takes us just a little deeper behind the pages of the best of the food books. This week, I'm with Dr. Simon Poole, whose book, The Real Mediterranean Diet, shares the latest science behind the world's oldest and healthiest diet. And what scientists have shown is that you, if you take a group of, uh, of people and you give them a relatively uh, polyphenol low diet uh, for a day or two, and then you measure their inflammatory markers, and then if you give them just a single dose uh, of sofrito, you can see uh, anti-inflammatory markers uh, all decrease uh, within hours of, of this meal. Now, my book about the Mediterranean diet, based on the Channel 4 TV series Food File, came out around 30 years ago, yet the scientists are still trying to persuade us to eat it. I asked Simon what more we need to know. So there's a lot of science now about the diet and also about the lifestyle which in which these people live, the environment and their relationship with the food, the relationship with community, relationship with the geography, the relationship with the soil and farming. So there's now plenty of evidence to show that the way in which people live in the Mediterranean really contributes enormously to health. And of course, food and diet is just one part of that lifestyle. And in fact, the word diet derives from the ancient Greek word diata, which means way of living. And so we need to look at the whole picture uh, and you kind of think about the way in which these communities uh, support each other and, and, and the exercise and, as I say, the relationship uh, with their environment, which incidentally is an extremely sustainable relationship as well in terms of, uh, in terms of the planetary uh, effect on, on, on the environment and so on. Absolutely. And let's let's paint a picture of that. So we're talking about people of all ages, multi-generational. So villages that are not packed with people, but, you know, where people do know each other and they talk to each other. And very often they will join in these fiestas where they get together and they sit at a long table and they will eat the food from the land. And you're absolutely right about the, the saving the planet because these are soils that are very healthy. They haven't been covered in pesticides. Uh, they grow beautiful vegetables ripened by the sun. You know, when we, and, and we have to remember this when we're talking about how to put the Mediterranean diet into our lives. But this is the way of life, the dieta, as you say, of lots and lots and lots of people. Now, one of the most important things is, well, two of the most important things around that table are the olive oil and the red wine. And we're going to be spending some time talking about those. Let's talk about olive oil, first of all. Very often these people will have an oil press in the village itself, certainly did in the village that I uh, visited all those years ago. Why is olive oil so important? So olive oil is part of the community, part of the way of life. There are numerous festivals and fiestas uh, just which, which relate just to the production of olive oil. Trees are everywhere you can see on the landscape. And in fact, in some respects, the, the definition of, of the Mediterranean is, is the area in which the olive tree flourishes. Although, of course, now the olive tree can flourish in other parts of the world, like Australia and South America and California and so on. But really, it's a central part. And, and to some extent, the year revolves around the olive harvest and the production of olive oil. And often, each family will have a number of trees that, uh, uh, that they own and They'll take the olives to the local press and uh, and for a, a, a modest commission, usually uh, the 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 uh, olive uh, 
press will will produce their olive oil and they will consume the olive oil from from their own land so the olive tree uh, and uh, and olive oil is really fundamental to to the community uh, and we can see in the mediterranean people planting new olive trees which of course won't produce olives for 10 20 25 years and i think there's an ancient greek proverb which says that the the definition of a civilized uh, culture is one where uh, you plant trees where you won't necessarily have the pleasure of sitting under its shade so it's for future generations so the olive tree is very very central and fundamental and olive oil as part of that is a really extraordinarily important ingredient in in that in that way of life so it's used for cooking it's used for preparing food it's used for drizzling it's really everywhere within the diet and there is no single ingredient anywhere else in the world that has such predominance in a way of eating so as much as as much as 40 percent of calories in in the ancient diet of crete are said to come from uh, from fat uh, and perhaps as much as 70 or 80 percent of those 40 percent fat calories come from olive oil so it's really an extraordinarily important part of the diet Mm. And, you know, people listening to this will go, well, I know this, you know, this has been on the news forever. And, you know, it was the first book I wrote back in 1993 after I'd made a program about it on Channel 4's Food File back in 1991. You know, we know this stuff. The th- and we're talking about extra virgin olive oil. Let's be clear about that. But what you talk about is a new word, I think, to a lot of people, and that's polyphenols. Um, you talked about it a little bit uh, at the beginning of one of the episodes a couple of months back on Cooking the Books, where you talked about the cough factor. And this was the thing that really grabbed me when I first saw you talk about the Mediterranean diet a couple of years back at the Italian embassy in London. And you said it was, you know, we're looking for that catch in your throat that's what we're looking for isn't it extra virgin olive oil yes and that cough cough factor that pungency pepperiness that slight bitterness that you can get uh to an oil indicates the presence of 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 lots of these polyphenols and what we're now discovering is that having had many decades about debates about fats and of course fat in our diet is still quite relevant but actually it's Probably not so much the fact that it contains good monounsaturated fats, but actually probably the real power of the benefits of extra virgin olive oil come from these compounds called polyphenols, which are in relatively small amounts in the oil, but create those tense, uh, those taste sensations uh, so that we can recognize the polyphenols actually in an oil when we taste it. And they are probably uh, contributing much more to the benefits of the health uh, to reduce inflammation, to reduce oxidative stress, rather than the, uh, uh, the, than the fats, which are potentially having a beneficial effect on cholesterol levels, but actually not acting as these anti-inflammatory and antioxidant components. So it's these polyphenols that I think the science is now really exciting. Yeah. And it's important to take us back to that village feast, that image of of these people happily eating and interacting with their land and and valuing the land, just to put it in context, because, you know, and we'll go on to this later. It is important to say it is the whole of the Mediterranean diet, lifestyle and combination of all these products rather than breaking it down. You know, if we just had olive oil, extra virgin olive oil in a diet of, you know, Big Macs or or whatever, it wouldn't work. It is the whole kit and caboodle, isn't it? And and yet inflammation is responsible for so many of our modern diet related diseases, isn't it? From cancer to strokes to heart disease to, to joint pain to arthritis. What is it? 
that makes what's that causes inflammation. So inflammation is uh, potentially a very positive, protective response from our bodies. So acute inflammation we use to uh, to get rid of uh, viruses and bacteria uh, or trauma. And acute inflammation is a useful uh, useful process. But the problem is that our bodies are subjected to many stresses uh, in, in life uh, and uh, and potentially to to external environmental uh, challenges and toxins and so on. Uh, and uh, unfortunately, that can set up a process of chronic inflammation. And so many of uh, the activities we we do, uh, smoking uh, and even in fact uh, actually just being very overweight is actually a promoter of this chronic inflammation that we can have in our bodies. And actually we can measure uh, to some extent the level of that chronic inflammation through, uh, through biochemical markers in the blood, which incidentally we can see drop really very, uh, uh, very profoundly if we have an anti-inflammatory uh, Mediterranean style diet. But chronic inflammation now we know to be uh, a contributing factor to the vast majority of chronic diseases. And we used to think of heart disease as just where 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 perhaps our arteries were were furred and then they then they finally blocked but for example heart disease is considered to now be uh, more related to the inflammation of those cholesterol plaques uh, rather than just that 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 narrowing and the blockage so so the anti-inflammatories you can get in our diet can be really protective in terms of uh, those chronic chronic diseases and anti-inflammatory plant components like polyphenols uh, can be really uh, important in contributing to reducing the inflammation and we can see that by measuring reductions in our inflammatory markers and and you know you do go into this in great detail in your book and break it down so that we know exactly what to do but the bottom line is eat extra virgin olive oil isn't it yes and 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 lots of it lots of it and really enjoy combining it in cooking uh, but also ingredients together with other plant foods so we were talking about the separation of of ingredients and them having individual effect effects for example like extra virgin olive oil and its effect on on inflammation and uh, and 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 as an antioxidant but actually the interaction between foods is really important as well and so we we see that alchemy happening and we see the the increase in the anti-inflammatory properties when you combine vegetables with with olive oil together for example so so it's 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 about the separate effects of those ingredients but it's also about this uh, how they come together to to maximize maximize their effects and actually you know the mediterranean diet does have a unesco status it's on the representative list of the intangible cultural heritage of humanity uh, in 2010 and that's because it celebrates the richest set of skills and traditions known to man and that's what that alchemy is all about isn't it it's that understanding the relationship with the land not filling it with pesticides getting animals to work it you know, not putting them in factory farms, eating off the land, letting the sun ripen the the vegetables and understanding the riches of particularly olives um, and and grapes. And we'll talk a little bit about red wine uh, as we go through it. You know, it, it feels to me, I mean, I do so much on this in Cooking the Books and in my other work, that we have so lost the plot. And your first food moment goes right back to the, the Greek physician uh, who, who knew the power of plants. Yes, well, well, you're absolutely right that, that the Mediterranean diet is an intuitive knowledge and relationship with what we eat and the environment from which our food comes. And so we can date the Mediterranean diet, not just back to the 1950s and 60s when it was first 
described by Ansel Keys, um, but actually we can date it back thousands of years because that knowledge and that relationship has 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 been with humankind over over millennia. And if you look at the history of uh, the diet diet in the Mediterranean in particular, there were lots of uh, lots of writing that went on in 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 the classical era, for example, in Greek and Roman times about the importance of food, about the importance of food for health. Uh, and you're right to to, to look at uh, ancient Greek physicians who knew, for example, Dioscorides recommended the earliest and bitterest uh, olive oil for for curing ails, many of which had uh, had an inflammatory basis. Uh, and we now know that those earliest harvests contain the most polyphenols, the most anti-inflammatory elements. And, and who knows, maybe he knew a thing or two. And of course, Hippocrates included extra virgin olive oil in at least 60 of his medicinal recipes for, for health. Uh, and in fact, it stretches back even further uh, because a doctor in Babylonian times was described as an asu, which is uh, a person of oil, a person who knows of oil. And so we are, we're, we're beginning to look back, I think, and actually now realize that this knowledge has stretched back uh, for, for, for millennia. And it's that that is crucial in the Mediterranean diet. And, and it's crucial for us to get back to, to learning about and understanding uh, and to preserving in the Mediterranean itself, which is why it got the UNESCO uh, World Heritage status. Yeah, absolutely. And it's important to say that, you know, that's where we lost the plot. And that's probably why we are steaming towards uh, a disaster in terms of uh, planetary health, as well as our own health. You've travelled a lot, though, Simon, you've met many farmers, these traditional artisan uh, farmers who live off the land in a very frugal, very, you know, humble way. They have that connection with the land, but they really, really, really understand uh, the value of what they've got. Um, I wonder, you know, when you talk to them, do they have a sense of the extreme impact they have on the rest of the world? I think, no, they don't. I think I think they do it because it's what, what they know uh, uh, and what they love and what, what they celebrate. Um, but I think they don't quite yet recognise that actually they have got the, the, the ingredients, the, the, the recipe, if you like, they've got the recipe for, for, for potentially planetary survival in terms of uh, the, the agricultural changes that we need, need to make to dramatically reduce the greenhouse gases, uh, which are particularly produced by the intensive kind of agriculture um, and, and the way of eating that we do now. So it, it is remarkable to travel to these places and to sit in the sunshine and under an olive tree discussing uh, the particular worms that that farmer is convinced adds a particular fruitiness to his uh, to his uh, to his olive oil. And I don't know, maybe it does. But you know, there are these uh, there, there are these uh, uh, these relationships which are so important and so important to to nurture and and. And that's why when when we go and buy uh, extra virgin olive oil, you, you know, I, I think it's so important that we we look at where it comes from, that we we, we ensure that it's got a good provenance, good authenticity, and that we know that uh, it's come from a place that really cares about its production, uh, and that we can we can continue to to uh, encourage that kind of, of way of life and that kind of production. Yeah, absolutely. Your second food moment is about the food that comes, well, you probably had on the table, the sofrito story. Now, we all know that sofrito is the basis of much of the, of the, of the best uh, dishes that we can make. Um, why is it so important in the Mediterranean diet? What have you doctors found out about it? Well, so, so, so researchers have now uh, looked at giving people 
ingredients, but not just individual ingredients, but actually whole meals and foods put together to see how they how they affect health potentially um and uh, the sofrito I- I story is what is the story i like to tell to illustrate some of the advancing science uh, particularly around uh, around polyphenols so uh, sofrito is as you say a common ingredient in uh, in in the mediterranean and you might go into a into a, a spanish bar at uh, at nine o'clock in the morning uh, and you might have a breakfast which consists of of a, a piece of toast with a little bit of sofrito on uh, and perhaps a, a very bitter incidentally polyphenol antioxidant rich coffee uh with that with that sofrito but the sofrito will will usually contain uh extra virgin olive oil and onions uh, and garlic and tomatoes uh, there are variations of that in italy for example um but sofrito is, is this tomato sauce effectively um but it's rich in polyphenols not only from the extra virgin olive oil but but from the onions quercetins uh from the onions um some lycopene Uh, which are not actually polyphenols but they're related from the tomatoes which again have anti-inflammatory and antioxidant uh, effects and what scientists have shown is that you if you take a group of uh, of people and you give them a relatively uh, polyphenol low diet uh, for a day or two and then you, you measure their inflammatory markers their inflammatory markers might might be at a certain level and then if you give them just a single dose uh, of sofrito a Dose is, of course, a medicinal term, but actually it's an enjoyable meal, a beautiful meal. If you give them a meal with sofrito, you can see uh, anti-inflammatory markers like uh, C-reactive protein and interleukin-2 and TNF uh, all decrease uh, within hours of of this meal. So it shows that actually, uh, although we might look back at our misspent youth where we all didn't eat very healthily, actually, if we have a polyphenol, uh, antioxidant, anti-inflammatory rich diet, um, we can potentially cho- change the levels of those uh, those inflammatory markers uh, and potentially reduce the inflammation in our systems really in a very short period of time. Uh, and that also shows the relationship between those foods, because, again, it's been shown that, uh, that the amount of these uh, polyphenol antioxidants available after you cook with extra virgin olive oil increases it's absorbed much more healthily has a great effect on the gut microbiome again that's interesting research um, and for example just just to sort of finish off the sofrito story you can have a little a little um, vignette about red wine which is that when red wine which is uh, packed with procyanidin polyphenols again potentially uh, contributing to its reduced effect on, on, on cardiovascular disease, um, if you have that with an extra virgin olive oil rich meal, that enhances the absorption of the polyphenols of both the oil and also the wine. And potentially there is some even some new polyphenols produced in that chemical alchemy of meals consumed where these ingredients are consumed together. Yeah, absolutely. I remember writing about the French paradox back in the day when I was writing the Mediterranean diet and uh, making that program for Food File. The northern French used to eat a lot of dairy and cream, but it was the consumption of red wine with the meal, slowly, with friends, in that lovely communal way that seemed to have an effect on their heart. The rate of heart disease in France at that time was much, much lower than anywhere else. The scientists showed that the impact of extra virgin olive oil and red wine on your diet, even if you had had heart disease, could lower that impact. That's quite extraordinary, isn't it? It is quite extraordinary. And, and of course, science is evolving all the time. And, and we need to 
have high expectations that the quality of the science is is good uh, and that the research done excludes all the sort of potentially confusing, uh, confounding factors to make sure that it's a real effect rather than just uh, potentially a a coincidental uh, observation. But there's also an interesting story from uh, Sardinia where, um, just like the the southern French, um, there's a small area actually of, of, of eastern Sardinia where there is an Exceptional, uh, uh, well, there are an exceptional number of centenarians, so people who live uh, to be over a hundred. And there are various theories about this, and, and it may be something to do uh, with their very Mediterranean-style diet, their extra virgin olive oil. But coincidentally, perhaps or maybe not, they also consume uh, a particular red wine called Cananao, uh, the grape of which is extremely rich in uh, polyphenols, extremely rich in these anti-inflammatory, antioxidant components uh, that we see in. In, that we see also in extra virgin olive oil, different ones, but we see it also in extra virgin olive oil. And so people are beginning to research whether or not uh, this, this, this wine is having a particular effect. But of course, it's difficult to draw conclusions and, and, and at this stage until we know for sure. But again, really interesting uh, conversations to be had about, uh, about polyphenols, which I think are much more exciting than arguing about, about macronutrients and much more exciting about arguing about saturated fat or, or, or unsaturated fat, because actually it's, it's talking really positive nutrition. It's talking about the beneficial components in things like olive oil and red wine. Yeah, which we all love. We know we love. We don't have to be persuaded to to you know, eat more olive oil and drink more red wine. Although we do need to remember to do it slowly and not to binge. And you know, to drink it with food is is the most important point. It's joining this all up. You know, which goes on to your third food moment, which is about the alchemy of cooking and combining ingredients and avoiding this breaking down. A lot of us in this country who are trying to deal with food poverty, we talk about breaking food down more protein, less fat. It makes food seem very complicated. And I was having a chat with Nick Sharma on um, Cooking the Books uh, recently, uh, who's written a book called The Flavour Equation. Why we mustn't talk about proteins and carbs and we must talk about the love of food. We must join it all up. And this is what you're talking about, isn't it, in your third food moment? Yes, exactly. It's about it's about the fact that actually the what I call the macronutrient wars, uh, which are the sort of conversations about these about fats, fats, proteins, and, and carbs, whether it's low carb, high carb, uh, low fat, high fat, are all I think so behind the curve now of really what we're beginning to understand. I, I mean, an example of this is cheese. Uh, you know, cheese people are often put off cheese because it's rich in saturated fat. But we don't pare it down to, well, what kind of saturated fats are those? What Do they have an effect on the cholesterol or not? If they're goats and sheep uh, saturated fats, maybe they're not so harmful as other fats. But cheese is, is a product where if we clearly eat a highly processed cheese uh, in the middle of a uh, of a double cheeseburger then clearly it's not going to be the same uh, have the same effect on health as we if we have a a beautiful uh, artisanal perhaps a a raw cheese from from sheep or goats uh, with some with some grapes after a meal it's it's a very different uh, different experience and so it's about eating uh, with foods celebrating them enjoying them uh, and and eating them in a way that, uh, that 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 creates that alchemy and creates that combination of foods which we know can 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 support and help your gut microbiome for example uh, um, with, with, with cheese which is fundamentally a healthy product but which has got a bad reputation because people are just simply breaking it down into its saturated fat component 
Yeah. And I speak to a lot of people, you know, and my work about food poverty who say, well, what are we supposed to eat? What's it supposed to look like? How do we, we don't connect with it. We, it's almost like they haven't got the picture on the front of the jigsaw puzzle. They've got all the pieces of the jigsaw puzzle, proteins, carbohydrates, fats, but they don't know what to do with it. Don't know what it's supposed to look like because the, the culture isn't there. We've lost sight of what it's supposed to look like. The lovely long table that I'm seeing in the Mediterranean high on the hill with the chickens running up the hill so that they're not full of fat and that they can actually walk on their own legs rather than being herded into a factory farm and their legs are breaking because they're so fast grown through being pumped with hormones. You know, it's crazy what we've done. Yes, well, and, and there's an interesting story from, from, from Crete about, about, about the eggs, uh, about chicken and the eggs. So when researchers were, were looking at the omega-3 levels in people's, uh, people's blood in, in Crete, uh, they looked at people living in the interior of Crete uh, who didn't really get access to to fresh fish very much because it, in those days fresh fish didn't really travel into the interior of Crete but they actually had remarkably high levels of omega-3 in their bloods and, and researchers began to try to understand why that was and it was in fact from the greens on the mountainside the wild greens that contained omega-3s but also the chickens were feeding on some of those wild greens and so therefore their eggs were highly concentrated in omega-3 and also their their meat more so in omega-3 than 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 would be expected particularly from as you say the the description of how uh, chickens are so so appallingly raised for the majority of of our meat so all of these things matter and in terms of what a what good food should look like, I think the answer is it needs to look tasty, it needs to look colourful, it needs to look authentic, it needs to look real, it needs to taste great and smell great. And when you see uh, one of these old uh, grandmamas or great grandmamas doing their shopping in a market in the Mediterranean, they will be smelling their tomatoes. They will be they will be you know what's the smell of the tomatoes? And in fact, actually, we're now knowing that some of these aromatic compounds actually have health benefits. So you can smell the goodness and you can taste the goodness uh, in foods. And if you taste the difference between a poor quality uh, olive oil and, and, and a high quality extra virgin olive oil with bitterness and pepperiness, it will be richer in these health, healthy polyphenols. And so, you, you know, our, our bodies and our brains actually can recognize good food uh, um, in, in particularly some of, these, some of these interesting flavors from herbs, spices uh, and other products, which, which we now know uh, can confer health. Yeah. And, and we also know that those skills are being lost amongst the young communities across the Mediterranean as well um, as they turn to city living, uh, move away from those wonderful grandmothers and mothers and people who pass on the skills and, and turn to junk food. And there is a rising case of obesity across the Mediterranean, which we mustn't underestimate. Your fourth food moment, though, is about painting that picture. It is the last part, part of the book where there are some fabulous Mediterranean recipes culled from lots of wonderful people including you know friends of this show Irini Georgia Glue Valentina Harris um but people look from you chose um Joe Baza as as a chef from Lebanon now I love Lebanese food um it is again very rich uh, in extra virgin olive oil and red wines and a lot of the ingredients that you talk about is that why you chose him in particular from all those wonderful chefs well Yes, I mean, and, and just to kind of roll back a little bit on that, and and to to think about how the book 
came into being, really, I wanted to write a book which explained the story of the Mediterranean diet, uh, explained the, some of the science in an easy and uh, in an easy way so that people could understand it. And then also in the second part of the book to really go through a program where people can convert to a relatively easy and straightforward Mediterranean diet. So cooking ingredients, combinations, everyday foods that are very, very easy and straightforward to, to produce, but will, will get you closer to that, uh, to that Mediterranean diet pattern, which we know know is so healthy. And then in the final section, um, I wanted to include some recipes, but I, 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 I'm not a chef and uh, I wouldn't pretend to be a chef, um, but I've had the great privilege in some of my travels around the Mediterranean to meet some extraordinary chefs, some of whom you've, you, you've, you've mentioned today. Uh, and I was very privileged as well uh, that many of them were so, uh, so happy to, to just give a recipe, uh, um, uh, some of which are cooked in their restaurants, some of which they would have as an everyday, everyday recipe. Um, and Joe from, uh, from, from Lebanon is a really interesting chef. Uh, we, of course, know about a lot of chefs in the UK, um, but we don't know some of, the, uh, some of the leading chefs in other parts of the world. And the Mediterranean diet, although it originated in, in, in the Mediterranean, is truly now a worldwide diet. So uh, there are, are, are areas in California, areas in, in Australia, which are which are very Mediterranean, uh, can produce even the ingredients for the Mediterranean diet, uh, and chefs are becoming much more interested in in promoting the, the very best. And Joe comes from from Lebanon, um, and Lebanon, I think, is, is a really fascinating place because when we tell that story of the Mediterranean diet, some might say uh, that that was where the Mediterranean diet really took off. Two or three thousand years ago, because uh, the the early agriculture, including the cultivation of the olive tree and the use of olive oil as the main source of fat, occurred in the Fertile Crescent, um, sort of tens of thousands of years ago. But it was the Phoenicians, those prodigious uh, traders uh, and explorers who took the olive tree uh, from Lebanon uh, and took it on their travels around the Mediterranean planted it in, in, in Sicily, in southern Italy, in, in Malaga, in, in, in what was to them become Carthage in, in Tunisia, where we have now have a fantastic olive oil uh, production uh, and a beautiful version of the Mediterranean diet. And so, so Joe has produced a sort of Lebanese uh, a version of, 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 a, of a recipe which, which might well be emblematic of, of, of the Mediterranean diet stretching back in, in the roots of, of Lebanese cuisine. Uh, and and so as the as the Mediterranean diet continues to evolve because because we, we it's continued over over the many thousands of years to introduce new ingredients as well as to export the olive tree to other parts of the world. We can think about tomatoes from, from the New World, a relatively recent introduction to the Mediterranean diet in terms of how long it's gone on and, uh, and chocolate, uh, um, and, 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 and coffee from, uh, from Africa coming up to, uh, to the Arab countries and North Africa. So those, I, I think that Lebanon to some extent tells the story of, of, of the evolution of the Mediterranean diet. Thanks for listening. You can buy all the books featured on Cooking the Books by clicking on the bookshop tab at chillysmith.com. And while you're there, do sign up for the newsletter to keep up with all my news, including the supper clubs. Don't forget to rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts. And I'll see you next week when we're staying in the Mediterranean, the Amalfi Coast, no less, with everyone's favourite Italian, Gennaro Contaldo. 